Welcome to season six, episode four of Fire Away, Revner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Fire Away streams live online every month. If you miss an episode or if you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe, our Facebook page, and on our website. Very excited about today's show. First of all, I'm joined by Risha Grant. Risha is the CEO and founder of Risha Grant LLC, which is an award-winning full-service diversity communications training and consulting firm. Its mission is to utilize diversity communication strategies, tactics, and training as a catalyst to create inclusive cultures. Motivate, motivated by her passion to correct societal isms like racism, sexism, classism, and plain old stupidism, it is Risha Grant's personal mission to expose the subtleties and values of diversity, equity, and inclusion while shining a light on the impacts they create. I should also mention that Risha is an author, and we're going to talk a little bit about her books. But Risha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, I am as well. So first of all, I mentioned you've got uh, two books out. The first one is called That's BS. Second one is called Be Better Than Your BS, which I understand is available for pre-order now. Uh, and this sounds like a silly question, but you've got to explain what you mean by BS. So BS actually means three different things. Uh, the first book, that's BS. It was about bias synapse, which is the brain's role in unconscious bias. And the sec second book, BS, is about the biosphere, which really is about all of the circles of influence in our lives, from our parents to our friends and peers to the schools and institutions or the government we live under in the media. And then the third BS is bullshit because all of it's bullshit. <laughs> That's what I first thought when I saw the title. Yeah. But I then read enough to know that it was a lot deeper than that. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I just, I feel like when you treat people badly based up on some diverse characteristic or you just constantly do things to uh, put your judgments upon, judgments upon other people, that's that's the bullshit side of it. But um, but there's a reason for a lot of that, and that is the biosphere, and then that's the bias in that. So the unconscious bias, these are things that we were taught by the people that love us, The again, what we learned at school, um, government. You know, we were just talking about what's happening in Florida uh, with, with DEI. So all of these things really impact us, how we view the world, how we see the world, and the biosphere helps us understand that. Well, as I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about this because I've seen situations where people are, as you just said, they're influenced by those who, that they love, their parents, family, et cetera. Uh, and I've seen situations where people have made really ignorant but completely inappropriate comments, and we're going to get to an example soon. Uh, but you knew it was just out of ignorance because that's what they were raised in. So um, I, I'm curious to know like, what you're, you know, if you have a solution or how you deal with that type of situation where comments are made out of ignorance as opposed to out of hatred or, or things like that? Well, I think once you realize that, once you've been called on it, it's time for you to start self-educating because a lot of us, we take what our parents and other loved ones say as the law, right? I mean, if they say don't trust these people or we can't move into this neighborhood because of these people or all of those things, like it's easy for us, especially as kids, who trust these people to just take that for what it is. Um, even simpler, more sim simple than that is think about when you're driving and you're in the car with your kids and 
somebody cuts you off. You know, say that somebody is a woman or a person of a different race. Like, how do you address that in the car with your kids? Even if they're like on their video games, you know, you may <laughs> call the woman something or say something about her or a different race or something like that. Your kids are picking that stuff up. And so I think that once you're called out on it, it's really, really important that you self-educate, you realize, and you go out there and say, okay, I really, I really shouldn't have done that. Um, let me figure out where that came from and what I, what I can do to fix it. Because the thing about our biases, especially those that are unconscious, um, they're going to be there. I mean, I, I've been doing this work for 25 years. I'm very aware of what my biases are. The difference is when it pops up, I make a different behavioral decision in the moment. So I know if I get on the elevator with somebody that um, just makes me uncomfortable or that I'm biased against, I make myself talk to that person. You know, I, right. I if it's five seconds on that elevator, I'm gonna get a smile out of five five seconds, and it's gonna lower my um, lower my concern and you know, and just really let me know that that bias is just ridiculous and um, I can't treat everybody the same based upon something that happened to me at some point in time. Well, I like that approach of actually actively engaging with people that, as you said, you might be less comfortable around. Uh, yes. And I'm curious, I know we're you know, usually talking more about the workplace concept but our context, but uh, in that scenario where someone is called out on a bias and they realize it, it comes from their par parents, have you seen situations where people actually confront their, their parents with, with what they were taught or, or not, not necessarily? I think you have to sometimes, but you see that more when... Um say you marry outside of your race or you marry outside of your sexual orientation or something like that, then you really have to then yeah address your parents because if they still believe a certain way, it's gonna make it very difficult for that person in your life. It's gonna make it difficult for the relationship. And of course, if any kids are involved, um, mm -hmm. there's, you know, we have holidays and we will literally take our, our person to a holiday dinner with family that we know are, are racist, misogynistic, classist, whatever it is, right? And we just say, hey, grandma, grandpa, my aunts, don't pay them any attention, you know? But literally you're like, they're gonna say all these things that are are, are really hurtful, really hateful, but just ignore it. Well, it's, it's hard to really ignore that. So it's, it's really incumbent upon you to make sure that um, you let family know, like, hey, I'm bringing this person and I expect you to, <laughs> act like you're you, you're well behaved or at least be respectful yeah which can be incredibly awkward but better to confront it um so uh, sort of along those lines one of the terms that i know you use is, is radical acceptance yes uh, i was hoping you could explain what that means it means that we accept people for who they are without our judgment full stop no bs full stop you get people get to be who they are and you get to keep how you feel to yourself because here's the thing it really doesn't matter you know how we feel um quick story i met a guy who has 666 tatted across his forehead now yeah i'm a pretty open person but you know i'm like this 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 could be satanic right it's just be the devil i'm not i'm not okay with this i started talking to the guy he's an amazing person um we had this article running in our paper that day about a tattoo shop that would remove gang-related or racist tattoos for free. Now, because of my judgments and all this about this dude, I'm thinking, oh, he doesn't, he didn't read the article. You know, he probably didn't watch the news. I should tell him about this. So I go back and forth in my head for a minute, tell the guy, he laughs at me and is like, you're the fifth person today to tell me that. 
you know, his wife <laughs> leaned in. It's like, I was the first person this morning. And the guy tells me how it's not satanic, but it's a gang that he used to belong to, how he had hurt a lot of people, gone to prison, but he had changed his life. And this guy had led hundreds of people out of gangs because he said, people in gangs, they know what this means. They see me living differently. And so, you know, of course, I asked for his apology and, you know, and I remember thinking, well, he could put it on his forearm and people would still see it. But it's like, why are you judging? Who cares? Like, this is just, I haven't seen him again, you know, and it's like you we have to shut up sometimes, you know, and, and keep things to ourselves because we don't know. Or I could have just simply asked him, hey, can you tell me more about that tattoo? That's like, you know, um, I think that's really bold and you know it's in your entire forehead i could have asked the question versus trying to um give him my unsolicited help right it's hard i mean it's funny to say sometimes we need to learn to shut up but then i find often when you hear people talking it it discloses their unconscious bias you know and yes perfect example and you, you hear about stories and i've seen this happen where someone will say and they usually catch themselves halfway through the sentence because they'll say something like oh you speak really well for a whatever they are or you write really yes. well uh and i see it in the legal world and i think we've gotten a lot better i mean i, I was called to the bar in 1999 so it's almost a quarter century ago which makes me feel really old now um but at the time i mean it was still a very white and male profession okay. um and it's still uh, more white than it should be although a lot more female now and um, we are seeing a lot more minorities represented but I heard those comments where you just knew that the assumption was that someone who wasn't a white male wouldn't do as good a job. And then people were, were pleasantly surprised when they did. Um, right. But it disclosed all of those unconscious biases that people had. Yeah, I, I agree. I had a guy tell me that um, I was really a, uh, oh, what was it? Um, for, my, for my race, I was really a credit to my race. Right. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> and and he, was, he was a stranger, but um, somebody I'd been talking to at a bar and, you know, he told me that and we, we had to get into a deep conversation about that. So, okay. Well, I, mean, I think you're, obviously you're different than the average person because I think the average person would probably say, oh, thank you. And then walk away. Uh, but how do you actually engage them in a conversation at that point? Well, now, I, I have to be honest with you. I really had to think about it because I really wanted to curse the guy out and <laughs> and um, and go to my room and finish having my glass of wine. Um, but it's probably because I've been in this work so long. Um, I thought to myself, OK, do you want to win or be right? You want to if you want to be right, you're perfectly justified in telling this, this dude off. But if you want to win, you can explain to him why that statement was hurtful, harmful, you know, all of those things. And just flat out ignorant and that's that's what i chose to do and the guy the first thing he said was you know well let me explain you know most black people that i know don't work hard for what they want so it was it was really um he was making it difficult for me to for me <laughs> to try to interact with him in a way that was right. not going to turn into a situation um but we had we ended up having dinner we had um we had a great time uh, well, I wouldn't call us friends, but definitely um, we kept in touch over the years and uh, he's become an ally at his work. And, you know, his, his text messages, he would, you know, just hit me up and say, keep spreading the love, you know. Right. Um, so I think I think if we can take the time to engage with people in a way that doesn't push them away, because in a lot of in a lot of folks minds, they're not trying to be rude. 
it's it's a compliment. It's a backhanded compliment to the person that's yeah. receiving it, but to them, it's a compliment. And so I think I think they're the the person who's who's offending, you know, can't be so fragile as not to um, understand that what they said was wrong. And then the person that is offended, I think. I think you have two things there. You can say, hey, I want to talk about this later, but you really pissed me off and I, I need to cool off. Or you can choose not to deal with it. Um, but I, and then sometimes I think that you, you got to let people have it because some things are not ignorant. Some things are just hateful and some things are just completely out of line. So. Yeah, absolutely. But, and, and it, you know, I guess turn this back to a workplace scenario. So let's say the same thing happens, but you're, you know, at work. And your boss or someone in the executive team or someone else makes a comment like that, you know, how it can be incredibly difficult for someone to say something when they're going to lose their job. But I mean, would, would you be, would your advice be any different in that context? Yeah. I mean, cause there's a, there's a power structure, right? Um, it's, it's difficult for an employee to address an executive who says something out of line, but that's what the HR department is for. Or if you have a DEI director, um, that's what that is for. You should be able to go and talk to HR and expect that something is going to happen. You know, now you can't sit those two people down and really have a conversation because again, you have this, this power structure, but letting that and letting the person know who was offended that there is something happening. I think that executive, that manager, uh, that coworker, they need to come and apologize. Um, I believe in conversation first always, but um, workplace is a little bit different. And I think what, what we see in workplaces a lot is that there's no structure in place to really deal with it. Or if there is structure in place, they never get back to the person to say, this is what is happening with your situation right now. So most mm. people that report issues around diversity and inclusion or equity, um, they feel like it's a waste of time. I can't tell you how many companies I go into where um, I talk to diverse people or um, anybody that's, that's had a reporting issue around DEI, they just, they're like, you're wasting your time. I've been here 10 years, you know, nothing ever happens, nothing's ever done. You go talk to HR and they're like, no, we did this, 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 but <laughs> the person never knew that, that it happened. Or you run into HR that's not equipped to deal with DEI issues and so they don't do anything. Yeah, uh, shockingly, I hear the same same comments and the same stories. You know, this is just a common thing. It's just the way it is here. Uh, and, and interestingly, you know, sometimes that's true. Like sometimes there, there just no there is no infrastructure. Nothing is done. Sometimes things are done, but as you said, the person who raised the concern has never given that you know that information to know what happened. Exactly. Uh, but so in your scenario, so let's say you know take the comment that was made to you, but let's assume, let's assume it was made in an annual review to someone to say like, oh, for a black person, you, you're a credit to your race or you write really well or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the individual, as you suggested, goes to HR and raises their concern. Um, I, I, I'm curious to know how you suggest HR, like what, what should the next steps be? I think HR needs to go straight to that person and say, hey, this is inappropriate. You can't say this, this is a microaggression. Um, because when you don't address it, you create a toxic work environment that you expect people to come to every day and be their best self. You're, they're expected to be creative. They're expected to, to move the needle on sales or productivity or whatever their job is. But these microaggressions are coming at them every day. And I heard a definition a long time ago that says microaggressions are like a thousand or a million paper cuts. And so to get cut 
over and over and over again where people can't see it, but you're feeling it. And we all know how paper cuts hurt. Um, that's a difficult environment to be in. So you've got to make sure that you have policies in place. And if that policy is being um, is is not being honored, especially by the people that put it in place, there has to be a consequence for that. And I'm not saying all the time that it's that person needs to be fired, but there needs to be something so that the employees feel like they have uh, they have a support system in place. Yeah, and it's funny you took the words out of my mouth. I was I was about to say that you know it seemed like for a while the pendulum had swung so far the other way that you know people call it cancel culture, right? The person who made that comment would just immediately be canceled or fired, and that that would be that, which to me is not at all a good result. And I was uh, it's actually probably a good time to uh, to mention the story that I, I told you we might mention because we're going to be very typically Canadian and talk about a hockey story. Um, so this happened in the NHL playoffs just about a week ago now, where an ESPN announcer was reviewing you know, the goals from the night before, and one of the goals was scored by Zach Whitecloud, who plays for Las, uh, Las Vegas Knights, and uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights, I should say. And so when the announcer said the individual's name, the individual's name is Zach Whitecloud, he then said, what kind of a name is Whitecloud? It's a great name if you're a toilet paper, uh, which is obviously just completely inappropriate and offensive. Um, but I love the fact that after that, you know, he wasn't immediately fired. And I have tremendous respect for Zach Whitecloud, who, you know, was at a press conference the next day when I'm sure he wanted to be anywhere else thinking about hockey in the playoffs and not this controversy. But he got stuck in the middle of this. And what he said was that he'd received the apology and, and basically said this should be treated as a learning experience. And hopefully we can all grow from this which I thought was a great way to treat the whole situation. But I'd love to get your your thoughts on that on that, and how that sort of relates to what you'd like to see whenever something like this happens. So a couple of things. Yes, the, the guy apologized off the bat, and I and I think that's great. Um, but I also saw where, the, where there was a comment that this was not hate, this is ignorance. I challenge that. It's not, it's, it wasn't ignorance. That was whenever you make fun of somebody else's last name, like you were wrong, you might've thought it was funny, um, but making fun of somebody else's last name is one thing, but then offending a whole group of indigenous people is a whole different thing. So he wasn't ignorant in the fact that, um, he may have been ignorant in the fact that he didn't think about it being something that would uh, be hurtful to indigenous people, but he knew upfront that making fun of somebody's name was wrong. And so I don't think you can forget that. I think what happens a lot is that diverse people are always the ones that are saying, I accept your apology. Um, you know, I hope this can be a conversation. And I feel that way as well. But I also think it's really time for people to start taking responsibility for the things that they say. I don't think that he necessarily should have been fired as well. I don't think that's the, again, that that is the, always the first answer. But I think that we also can't continue to let people off the hook and say, well, it, it was ignorance. Well, no, you knew better. That's just basic manners. So you knew better um, it, at, at its basic level, right? But then maybe you didn't expect a snowball here because now it's like, oh man, you know, I've offended an entire, uh, an entire community of people. Um, that's, that's something deeper. And that's something that I think that Anderson should probably really think about and again, then assess his biosphere for, for where that came from. 
Um, I, I think those kinds of things are okay when you know a person uh, intimately as a friend and you, you can joke around and they're cool with it. Um, because I do think, again, with the pendulum, it's swung so far that people don't even think they can have fun with their friends. And, and my white friends and I, I mean, we say stuff to each other all the time that we can laugh about, but we've built that relationship. There's no way right. that, that we're going to go out there and just um, say something in, in a podcast like this that's going to uh, offend an entire uh, race of people. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really great point. That, you, know, you can say different things in different contexts and with different people. Uh, but back to the whole uh, Josh Anderson and Zach White cloud scenario, like I, I think you make a really good point. You know, I, it's ignorant, but he clearly should have known better. Um, yes. And I guess you know I'll bring this back to the employment context. Let's assume this wasn't on ESPN. This was in a you know in the lunchroom at work where he made that comment, and three or four people heard it, not you know the whole nation. Um, and I think the important thing here, A, is as you said, if you know the victim isn't comfortable calling the person out right away, they go to HR, and HR HR should deal with it, and there should be discipline. Like I just you know when I say they shouldn't they shouldn't be fired doesn't mean there shouldn't be discipline, which could be a very exactly. strong warning. But then I think the other important point, and I, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is it's a great reminder of the need for training, and people need to be taught. You know, well, basically it's the type of training you provide. You know, to understand their their unconscious bias and, and how that plays out, and so. Um, Maybe this could be interesting. What would you do if a company called you and said we had an incident like this and we'd like you to come in? Uh, what would you What would you come in and do? I would come in and talk to them about unconscious bias, um, but I'm always <laughs> quick to tell people like what I just told you. Like, you know, there's unconscious bias, and then there's just like really bad man manners, and there's the fact that we knew better and didn't think we'd get caught. You know, you hear people all the time, um, at least in my line of work that maybe are, are very light-skinned people and you think that they're white and they're black or they're mixed or whatever it is, a person of color. And people just say inappropriate things all the time that they know are wrong. Um, so when I go in, I had a situation in New York that I, I was called in like emergency to come in and it was a school um, and it was a middle school. And you had a kid that, uh, had a, put a picture on social media of a little black girl in school and said, we should lynch her. So um, the school didn't do anything initially. The parents had to get involved. The media had to get involved. Before I got there, the little girl had addressed it herself. She went to the little boy. She explained to him why that was um, very scary and inappropriate. The little boy apologized and they had dealt with it themselves. The first thing I was thinking, if I'm being honest, is, well, just just let's just line up all the adults and slap them because <laughs> because how do you do nothing? First of all, that is a direct um, that is a direct threat to somebody's life. But yeah. the fact that it took so long. But then you have these two little kids that are in middle school. That's like, hey, can we talk? <laughs> so when you put this up, this is what I felt. And it was really hurtful and it was scary. And, oh, I'm sorry. And. And, you know, at that age, I really don't know if the kid really understood the level of what he was saying or what he was doing. But, you know, they, they handled it much better than the adult. The adults were scared right. to touch it. They were literally scared to touch it. And yeah. I, I would love, I think about those kids all the time. So I'm like, I would love to talk to those kids and see, you know, where they are now. They're, oh, they have to be in high school, if not about to graduate from high school. Like, 
how did that situation impact them? You know, what did they learn? Um, and then the fact that this little girl just had enough know-how, you know, to just go out here and say, you know what, I got this. <laughs> Your adults aren't, aren't, aren't helpful at all here. So yeah, no, give her a lot of credit <laughs> for being yeah. brave enough to go in and talk to him directly. That's for anyone that's yeah. impressive. For a yes. And if you do it in a way that doesn't alienate a person now, um, Again, because I get people all the time that are like, look, I'm trying to be this way, but this person won't allow it. And so sometimes it's easy for things to escalate. But what I have found over my years is that when I can go in and um, and say, hey, I need to have a conversation with you about this, um, it's worked much better. Because if you say you meet a person where they are, somebody says something stupid in a group of people in the, the workplace lunchroom, right? And everybody hears it. You can let that person have it. I mean, and I, and again, sometimes it needs to, your your reaction matches a transgression. But at the same time, um, if you if you wait and say, "Hey, I, I need to talk to you at some point today," I think you move the needle a little bit better because people tend to um, they're going to protect their their reputation, their pride. You know, they're going to dig in, um, and it's just going to kind of make the situation blow up more. Um, so I. I advocate for, you know, trying to de-escalate the situation and then being able to, to have that conversation. Yeah, which makes sense. And, and even just getting back to the school example you gave, I mean, yes, it's great that she confronted him and hopefully he understood, but there's obviously a lot more. And getting back to your point earlier, whether that was his family or other influences or other, other exactly. reasons why he thought that was appropriate to, to do. Exactly. Uh, so and that's where bias fear comes in. You know, it's like, yeah. why did he think that was okay? You know, exactly. So, so I wanted to bring this back. And, and as we said, and time flies by. I see we're already at uh, 12.55. But I, I do want to talk about this for a minute. And maybe maybe I'll uh, forego my chance to fire away to this if we don't have enough time. But okay. I guess to complete the picture, uh, if from an employer perspective, you know, we've talked about you know, how to deal with these incidents as they arise. I and mean, you mentioned briefly having policies in place, but but what has to happen in order for employers to create a workplace where people feel that they are that they are safe and they won't be the victim of, of aggressions or microaggressions or anything else? It's those policies. It is what people are seeing and feeling every day in your culture at, at the office. Um, there's an there's a belonging policy there's an anti-retaliation policy there's a zero tolerance policy those things are going to let people know they're protected there's a chain of command there's something i can do in your employee handbook are you using inclusive language you know are you making sure that you're not excluding people who don't identify as uh, male or female or who are non-binary um i i was i had a client uh, late last year and I was going over their policies and their employee handbook, and I was just blown away because it said stuff like business jewelry for women. And, you know, and I, and I, to this day, I don't know what business jewelry is, right? <laughs> and it's, it, it literally told the, um, the height of the heels that they could wear in the office. And, you know, and, and it was just something that was so antiquated how you wear yeah. your hair, um, whether men can have facial hair or not. And not realizing that people have religious um, religious beliefs that may um, that may not allow them to cut their facial hair off. We had a situation at a company where um, a guy had to go to a family. I think it was a wedding, 
And he didn't want to go because he had been forced to cut off his beard, which was really important to his religion. And he didn't know how his family would react. You know, you have things that say, tell a woman how she has to professionally wear her hair. Well, for black women uh, that wear their hair natural, that's really a slap in the face that is saying, the way that the hair grows out of my head is wrong. And you want me to put damaging chemicals that have now been proven to cause cancer on my head so that I can look professional in whatever professional means to, to that company. So having those policies in place are super important. And then if you have a task force, a DEI task force, they are great for, th for that, to look through those policies, making sure that you are representing as many different people as possible in that group that can actually say to you, hey, this, we need to change this, we need to fix this, we need to do this. Um, it's super important that diverse people are a part of building those policies, building that culture. Like it doesn't make us look like we shouldn't be in an, an executive or a manager by asking the people that have to experience this environment to kick in with their ideas about how to make it the best connected environment that it can be. Yeah, and I think that's that's critical, and it gets back to a point that I always make when you talk about policies, which is you can have the best best written policy in the world. If you don't walk the walk, then it's meaningless. So you got to not only write the right things, but actually do the right things. Exactly. Uh, and enforce them. you know, getting back to our examples, if someone comes to HR and complains about comments being made, you know, it's all too often that I see cases where HR just kind of tries to sweep it under the rug or. They just kind of give lip service to, you know, investigating, but nothing happens. And exactly. if that's the case, you just become completely meaningless. Exactly. I agree. I mean, it happens all the time, all the time. And I, I think we, we have to be transparent in when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have to say, look, we're, we haven't gotten this right in the past. There are things that we know that we should have done differently. We want to fix that. We need your help in fixing that. Um, in my book um, that's that's coming out, Be Better Than Your BS, we talk about a culture commitment, which is essentially a statement that is put together by the leadership and the employees to, to basically say, this is how our culture will operate. This is who we are. It acknowledges past mistakes and it looks toward the future of what those changes look like, but it's a fluid document that needs to change with the times. Yeah, uh, and look, from, a, from an employment law perspective, I mean, that's when companies get into trouble and they expose themselves to liabilities when they either don't have the policies or they don't follow the policies. And that's what keeps firms like ours busy, unfortunately, is we're dealing with these situations that just should not exist. Well, you know, so, when I started, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. I was saying when I started this, this work so long ago, um, it was so difficult because I couldn't get, companies would not hire me simply because it was the right thing to do or preventative. It was because they were being sued, you nice. know? And um, it's so, you know, when you walk in, when you're me and you have to walk into a, a company of people who have been sued for millions of dollars, like it's not, it wasn't very, ex a very accepting environment. It was a, here she comes to tell us all the bullshit, right? <laughs> that we did wrong. And so it feels good to have lived through this and at least be hired now because people know that they want to have a culture that is accepting to everybody. Uh, now, now you know how lawyers feel when they walk into a room sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, sure. well, we'll leave it for now, Risha. But before we wrap up, I just want to give you a chance. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they had questions or, or wanted to work with you? 
they can go to my website, which is reshagrant.com. That's R-I-S-H-A-G-R-A-N-T.com. Again, the book is on Amazon, Be Better Than Your BS. Um, and then all, the, so all my social handles are my name, Risha Grant. So I would love for people to connect with me and engage and love to just uh, help people through their BS, be better than their BS. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite clear you love talking about it. And so thank you again. That's, that's going to be a wrap for season six, episode four of Fire Away. But I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And Risha, thank you again for really fun and, and, and helpful discussion. Remind everyone that past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook. If you like our page or subscribe to our channel, you'll get notifications when episodes are live. Our next episode is going to be on June 20th. And uh, Brittany Taylor is going to be back in the host chair again and joined by Nicole Steeb. At Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite everyone to keep up to date on employment issues by following us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn, and liking our Facebook page, subscribing to our YouTube channel, check out our TikTok feed as well. But as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark, as always, for helping put the show together. That's all for today. See you next time.